Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110-1800. WBT 1110. Pete Callender here. And the email is Pete at the Pete uh, at Pete Callender. It's where we do a lot of the wet work. And I uh, got an email here uh, regarding last hour's interview with Stephen Wiley, who was the is the uh, caucus director for the North Carolina House Republicans. Uh, basically, he goes out and he recruits candidates and helps them with their campaigns to get as you know big of a majority as he can in the North Carolina House for the Republicans. And he came one vote shy, or sorry, one race shy of having a supermajority. So he did a very good job. I would submit the evidence indicates he did a very good job. He outperformed basically every other state in America except for Florida. So, uh, and maybe if you had a, a Republican governor instead of Roy Cooper, who didn't keep the state locked down for as long as Cooper did, uh, maybe we would have seen more people. And by the way, like that's, you can look at, we look back on it now and maybe somebody should ask Governor Cooper if he ever does another press conference where he takes COVID-related questions. Um, you know, maybe somebody could throw a question at him about, hey, did it ever cross your mind that if you opened up the state, you would get more people that would flee here and those people might be more of a Republican-leaning population? And if so, did that factor into any of your considerations? I mean, of course he would say no, but I just want to see him answer the question. Anyway, Matthew says, Pete, I thoroughly enjoy whenever you have Stephen Wiley and or Larry Shaheen on the show for political analysis. Perhaps you can have them both on one day and dedicate a whole hour to it. I think that opens one of the gates of hell, actually. Larry and Stephen at the... I'm just kidding. Uh, Maybe uh, just a nerdy pipe dream of mine, but if you're going to do it, you better do it before Wiley gets hired up by the DeSantis campaign or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's... That's what I mean. They start to play this kind of... uh, This kind You start playing this, this well... And you get called up to the bigs. Although North Carolina, we're now getting to be the bigs, you know? People come here. I, I see it all the time. People come here from other uh, states, other campaigns that are very well. There are a bunch of people that worked on Democrat presidential campaigns, for example, that are in North Carolina now and have been for a while that are working on uh, working on races. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this, the, the storm is here, people. It is here. Um just checking to see. Uh, oh, yeah, this was on the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. The Republicans are already saying they're going to investigate Hunter Biden's dealings with the foreign companies and, and governments and whether or not it has compromised uh, Joe Biden. And, you know, if you listen to talk radio, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the 10 percent for the big guy. Right. So here's an email about that. Uh, from I don't have a name here. Why is there no name? Anyway, uh, don't forget Joe Biden's brother also had international business. Uh, it was Jim Biden, I believe his name is. Uh, his bro- Jim Biden and Hunter deeply involved in all kinds of international affairs. Let's not forget about the big guy referenced in the email that one of the email recipients held a press conference and acknowledged that indeed was Joe Biden. All that money did he report it to the IRS? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to be investigated there. I look forward to it. Um, and that is what, that's why you need opposition parties. It is, it's, you know, areas that are governed by one party alone, not, and I'm not talking super majority status. I'm saying complete dominance, right? Not a single 
member of the minority party on the the government body at all, they get way corrupt. They just do because there isn't any limiting uh, uh, force there for them. They're in closed meetings. They're doing backroom deals and stuff, and they're all part of the same party. So they don't want to hurt the party brand. Hurting, hurting your opponent, yes, it's going to hurt your opponent, but you're also going to do damage to the brand, and you're going to alienate people inside your own party. That's why you need an adversary, just like court. You want an adversarial relationship. This is why it's troubling to me when I see areas that just go completely, you know, one party or the other. You always want one, I'm going to bring up a name from the past here, a blast from the past, one Larry Gavro <laughs> or John Rhodes, who Tom Till has beat in, in that state house race in order to become a state lawmaker and launched his uh, career up in Raleigh, right? These are guys that would always be just a thorn in the side to the majority party that controlled the board. Larry Gavreau was an old school board member. Um, you need that. You want that. The nattering nabob of negativity. <laughs> you want the, the gadfly. You want somebody like that because they are they are looking out for different interests and it's an adversarial relationship just like a courtroom. All right. Uh, let me get to this. This is from uh, Carolina Journal. Lawyers representing the North Carolina NAACP want the state Supreme Court to jumpstart action in a case challenging state constitutional amendments for voter ID and a lower state income tax cap. All right. For new arrivals to uh, Charlotte, Mecklenburg and the surrounding areas. Uh, well, first off, welcome. Secondly, uh, a couple of years ago, we all got to vote on whether to enshrine in our Constitution voter ID and lowering the cap on our state income tax. See, our Constitution has a limit on the percentage that the state can charge income taxes on, right? Or, or the, the rate. It sets a cap. And originally it was set at about, I think, I think it originally was 7%. And then years later, I think it was the Great Depression era, and uh, Democrats raised it. They, they changed it. They voted on it, and they changed the Constitution to raise it to 10%. I think that's when that occurred. And Republicans, when they took over in 2011, uh, a couple years after they'd been in office, they said, you know what? Now that we got the income tax rate down to like 5%, let's go ahead and set the cap back to 7 Democrats cried foul. Republicans rammed it through because they had super majorities draw, uh, that, that they won under uh, a district map that were that was tossed by judges who said it was uh, racial gerrymanders because they look at the voter uh, registration numbers and they say, oh, look at, uh, you know, they have all these black voters. Well, yes, but they're all Democrat voters. And this is what Sam Alito talked about. If you're going to gerrymander based on partisan affiliation, that's going to look almost identical to racial gerrymandering because Black people vote overwhelmingly for Democrats. So it's very difficult to draw a district that's going to look like it's a partisan gerrymander and doesn't look like a racial one. Unless you look at race, which they said you couldn't do. Anyway, this is just the insanity of all of these lawsuits. They just they if you try to do it the way they want you to, then they say they change the rules and no, that's not the way we want it. We want it this other way. So then you draw the maps like that. And then they're like, no, we don't want it like that. We want it this other way. So you draw the maps like that. And then, no, no, we don't like it that. You got to do this thing. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely insane. So anyway, we all voted to put into the Constitution an income tax rate of 7% and voter ID. 
And a judge threw them all out. A, a, a lefty judge threw it out. The NAACP wants the Supreme Court. So then uh, it goes to the uh, Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, four Democrats, three Republicans, until last Tuesday, four Democrats, three Republicans, and all four Democrats say, you know what? We're going to set the, uh, the state on a course for a constitutional crisis and agree with the lower moonbat leftist judge uh, in the lower court, and we're going to say yes. Yes, that's a usurper legislator, uh, legisla- uh, legislature, and so we are not going to allow the vote of the people to stand. We four lawyers with the wardrobe change, we know better than 57%, 55% of the voting public. We know better. You should never have been allowed to answer that question. It's like an objection in court. It's like the legislature said, hey, would you like to have voter ID? And the, uh, the NAACP says, I object, Your Honor. They should not be allowed to answer that question. And the, the four Democrat judges who get elected with the help of the NAACP, they're like, sustain. Yes, we agree. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be allowed to answer that question. Why? Well, because you didn't have a right to ask it. Because it never would have passed had the, had the legislature not been gerrymandered. This is the art. Now, mind you, there were four other referenda on the ballot that year. Four other items. Two passed, two failed. They didn't attack those four other items. I don't know why. One of them is a victim's rights law. I guess the PR on that would just look bad, right? It would. It would look bad. And this sort of, this gives away the game, right? This lays bare the lie about what this is about. This isn't about a principle of a usurper legislature. No, this is about we don't want voter ID and we want to be able to spend beyond 7% income tax rate. We want, how dare you limit our ability to charge people more than 7% income tax. That's what it's about because they didn't go after the victim's rights and notification bill, Marcy's law. They didn't go after, uh, what was the other one, the, uh, the constitutional right to hunt and fish. They did not go after that either. Why? But those two shall fall. There's, there's no legal reason why those two should stand. If we didn't have the right to answer the other questions, we don't have the right to answer any of them. Lawyers representing the North Carolina NAACP want the state Supreme Court to jumpstart action in a case challenging state constitutional amendments on voter ID and a cap on the state income tax, now set at 7%. The brief was filed on Tuesday. The NAACP lawyers accuse state appeals court judges of holding up the case's transfer to a Wake County trial judge that they shopped for. The NAACP, all right, I added that last part, but the NAACP wants the Supreme Court to issue a writ of mandamus. It would force appellate judges to transfer the case back to the trial court. Democrats hold a 4-3 advantage on the state Supreme Court now, but voters just elected two Republicans to replace them. The election will shift the court's partisan split from 4-3 Democrat to 5-2 Republican. But that doesn't happen until January. And this is why the four Democrats on the court pushed ahead. They 
They did end runs around the appellate courts because the appellate courts are controlled by, you got it, Republicans. So they did not want to wait for those Republican judges to hear the cases and risk not having these specific cases brought to them. So they did an end run. They went and and fast-tracked a couple of these cases that they wanted to take and settle that they knew or assumed Republican judges would have a different opinion about. But we're supposed to have uh, you know, confidence in the judiciary when Democrats do these types of things. But we're not supposed to think about you know, how, uh, uh, how awful Democrats have behaved, how these lawyers pulled partisan political moves and such. We're not supposed to think about those things when Democrats do it. But if a Republican cites constitutional law to overturn a precedent that was badly decided in the first place, well, that, my friends, that undermines the judicial system. Three court, uh, the three Court of Appeals judges that were targeted in the NAACP's brief are all Republicans. The trial judge who initially heard the case is a Democrat. The voter ID referendum was approved by 55% of the of voters, and the, uh, lowering the income tax rate cap from 10% to 7%, that was a 57% vote in favor of lowering it. Plaintiffs argue that NAACP says that the case has taken too long to go back to the lower court, where, again, they know how that judge is going to hook them up. It's going to do them a solid. Plaintiffs say, quote, the Court of Appeals failure to follow standard judicial procedure leaves this case and by extension to amendments in legal limbo. Which is interesting. So we're supposed to accept it as just, you know, all fair, part of the game. When a branch of government slow rolls something until after an election, right? We're supposed to, and and this occurs in the judicial system all the time, investigatory, uh, investigative bodies and stuff, investigation uh, agencies, they they do this all the time. It's actually a policy, right? The U.S. attorney was investigating Charlotte Mayor Pat Cannon, but didn't tell anybody until after the election because we don't want to be seen as, you know, affecting the outcome of an election. Yeah, but don't you think if you got Pat Cannon on video taking stacks of cash, don't you think that... Uh, see, right now I should do a Catawba 2 Kings fat stacks of... No, but it's... Anyway, uh, you got him on video, you, you got him dead to rights on this, and yet you're going to let everybody put him in office? So then the Democrat Party gets to name a replacement? That's how you got Claude Felter, right? So... And then Jennifer Roberts. Yeesh. And then HB2. Anyway... Um, state Supreme Court decided this is now from Lynn Bonner. Oh, by the way, so that was from the Carolina Journal. This piece is from NC Policy Watch, and this is the left-wing organization uh, that goes around high. It's always amazing to me how many people in media in North Carolina, how many newspaper people end up over at NC Policy Watch. It's quite remarkable. This is from Lynn Bonner. She's the reporter on this story. I can't recall if she's former AP or if she was McClatchy. I forget. Anyway, she writes, the state Supreme Court decided that a legislature with members from unlawfully racially gerrymandered districts don't automatically have the power to ask voters to change the Constitution. So they don't automatically have the power to ask voters. They don't have the power to even ask. But, but, and this is where the state Supreme Court 
Democrats have erred, I think, is that they're trying to tightly restrict their ruling to only mean these two incidents. They're like, this doesn't have any kind of wider implications, but we all know that's garbage. Because there, you, you cannot say that this principle is limited because the argument is that they uh, did not have the legislative authority to even ask it because they were from racially gerrymandered districts. And if that's the case, then every single thing that they passed during that legislative session, at least anything within the margin of the votes from these whatever lawmakers came from the districts, it has to be thrown out, and as do all of the other constitutional amendments that we approved. But see, they're trying not to complete uh, to, to cause complete disarray. So they're oh, it's just about this one issue. That's it. The court sent the issue of constitutional amendments requiring photo ID, capping the income tax, back to the trial court to get more questions answered and to determine whether the amendments should be disallowed. That was three months ago, almost three months ago. The order must pass through the state court of appeals on its way back to the trial court, but a panel of three appeals court judges is holding on to it. In an attempt to get the Supreme Court order dislodged, lawyers for the state NAACP asked the state Supreme Court to step in and issue a writ of mandamus or a command telling the appeals court to send the matter back to Wake County. Quoting an old Supreme Court opinion, the NAACP says that a writ of mandamus is an extraordinary remedy which the court will grant only in cases of necessity. It is an order that can't be refused when it is sought to enforce a clear right, a legal right to which it is appropriate. So here's, here's the question. If the legal reasoning is so strong, if the foundation, the legal foundation upon which their uh, opinion rests is so credible, then what's the problem? Why would it matter? The voter ID is not implemented. You have a Republican legislature. They have no interest in raising the income tax above 7%. There is no rush on any of this, right? There's no rush on this. The, the new legislative body hasn't been sworn in. They haven't taken office. So there isn't any you know, pressure. There's no deadline here until, I guess, the new legislature does get seated. Then maybe they try to push something through with the voter ID, but they would not be empowered to do so because the ruling is what it is. So there's, there's no time crunch except one thing, the zombie court, right? That's what we have right now. We have a zombie court, a zombie Supreme Court in North Carolina. And they are going to try all sorts of chicanery, I suspect, before they hit the door. We'll be watching. You know, in about, uh, oh gosh, 25, 24, 23 minutes. 23 minutes in front of three. In about 23 minutes, uh, Brett Winterbull is going to be down at the Charlotte Auto Show. Well, chances are he's already there. But um, he's going to be broadcasting from the Charlotte Auto Show when his, uh, his show begins here in mere moments. It's the 29th year that the Auto Show has been here in Charlotte. It's at the Convention Center. And today, it is Hero Day at the Auto Show. So if you swing on by, show your ID, military, uh, active duty military, veterans, retirees, uh, First responders as well, teachers, folks in the medical profession, uh, go in, show your ID, and uh, you can get in for free. Check out the latest makes and models. Manufacturers got them 
uh, all the you know the coolest cars there, and uh, they got the family fun zone as well. Uh, and uh, test drives on site. Chevy's doing those. They got all the electric cars. If that's your thing, go check them out. It's at the Charlotte Convention Center. And again, Brett Winterbull is going to be broadcasting his show there today. So go say hi. Um, I mean, not while he's talking on air. Be respectful, you know, like wait for a commercial break. Um, and be careful because sometimes during the commercial break, he may start doing a live read. Just got to be, just got to play by ear. All right. Um, <laughs> so the fate of a court order. Increasing funding for public schools is now uncertain in North Carolina. Now, the Republicans gained control of the North Carolina Supreme Court on Election Day. Indeed. Last week's 4-3 to three ruling uh, uh, in the long-running Leandro school funding case was split along partisan lines. But with uh, all four Democrats backing the order, requiring state leaders to increase education funding. We covered this when it, when it broke. Uh, this, I, this is another example. This is one of those cases, by the way, where the state Supreme Court, the four Democrats with robes, they said, yeah, yeah we're going to fast track this case because they were about to lose power, their control over the court for the first time since, uh, gosh, 2016, I believe. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. The... Um, uh, State Supreme Court has uh, all judicial races. They have a limit. You cannot be 72 years old and continue to be a judge. In North Carolina, they put these these age restrictions. I mean, it's not for other elected offices. Let's not get crazy. No, no. It's just for, you know, the judges. Now, the cynic in me would say that they put this in place because judges traditionally end up being more conservative. They were Republican. They tend to win elections. The Republicans were winning elections as judges. And so Democrats that control the legislative branch may have put the cap in there to force out the Republican judges. So the, you know, usually elected Democrat governors could make replacements. But I mean, I don't want to make assumptions about motives or anything. So we'll just say they put the cap in there to make sure that the uh, the olds don't get to stay on the bench. All right. And uh, that's how they ended up with this majority. And it got bigger. At one point, it was six to one. Then it became four, three. You had a retirement. You had newbie won a race uh, against Sherry Beasley. Right. So it's four, three, but they're about to be now out because they lost. Both of the seats that were up were the seats that Democrats held. One Democrat retired. Uh, and uh, one just lost its re-election bid, that's Sam Irvin. And so it was a 4-3 majority. Now it's going to be a 5-2 majority, uh, consisting of judges who, in their dissent, called the money transfer, quote, the definition of tyranny. Because the judicial branch is, speaking of usurpation, is usurping the power of the legislature. It's forcing the allocation of funds. It's forcing certain things to be funded at a priority above other things. And that is not what the judicial branch is supposed to be doing. But that's what this judicial branch thinks it should be doing. So now you got the lefties very upset. They're all worried that the Supreme Court is going to reverse course. This is the story at the McClatchy Papers by Kyung Hui, He says supporters of the court ruling say the high court's new GOP majority should allow the money transfer to be enforced. Well, of course they say that. (laughs) Duh. 
right? Supporters of the, yeah. In other words, Democrats are like, you should let this ruling by the Democratic judges stand, Republicans. I know you disagreed. You called it the definition of tyranny, but you should let this tyranny stand. To go back and change a historic decision so quickly would really damage the legitimacy of the court, says Matt Ellenwood, the director of the Education and Law Project at the NC Justice Center, which is part of the leftist constellation of organizations connected to NC Policy Watch, Budget and Tax Center, Progressive Pulse. They all get the funding from the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation, and they get the funding from uh, you know Soros-connected groups and Zuckbuck-connected uh, groups and uh, the guy who owns um, uh, WRAL-TV. This is the this is the this is the left in North Carolina. These are the organizations and the players. So they quote so the observer goes to that group and gets the guy who's in charge of the education and law project to say, well, you know, if you change this ruling that was, you know, hyperpartisan and you know, the definition of tyranny and you ran this thing through and you you fast-tracked it to get to the court because you were afraid you were going to lose the seats, which you then lost, and now you're going to like try to shame people into keeping your ruling in place, even though it has done grave damage to the constitutional order. We should just sit back and take it. We should just accept it and, and allow it to be the law of the land here because, you know, people might might question the legitimacy of the court. No, no, pay no attention to the other half of the state that now questions the legitimacy of the court because of what you did, Right. I question the legitimacy of the court because of what you did. This, I didn't even get to this today. <clears throat> I was planning to tie it together. But then Nancy Pelosi had to go and make her speech. But the gay marriage stuff. As a lowercase l libertarian, I don't think that the government should be in the marriage business at all. Should not be in the business of, of uh, you know, sanctifying marriages, approving, okay, you can be married, you can be married. That's for churches. That's marriage. You want contract law, set up a contract regime, protect people's rights under the eyes of the law. That's a separate, to me, that's a separate thing. Now, that being said, so when people were making the arguments, like with the uh, uh, Amendment 1, right, to the, the, the uh, put it into the state constitution, marriage is one man, one woman, and all of that, all the gay marriage fights of, what, 10 years ago? During that whole time, I got a lot of flack for this position that I held. I took a lot of heat. But when Obergefell came down, when the Supreme Court ruling came down, I objected to the ruling. I didn't think it was legally sound. And I said at the time, how do you then close the door on polygamy? If love wins is your legal rationale, well, who are you to limit marriage between just two people? Bigot, right? It's not a... See, so, I mean, that's how I can look at an issue and say, well, this... I like the end result... Or I don't, I don't oppose the end result, but I don't like how you got there. And that's what this guy is saying. Quote, people would not know how to follow the laws of the state if it can so easily change based on the makeup of the court. Yes! Yes, exactly! That's what we've been saying to you! That's what we've been saying to you! Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Am I, I think, are my eyes bleeding here? Oh.
1110-993-WBT. Got an email here from Stanley. He says, Pete, if you're not going to punish or arrest couples that are cohabitating in some way, then what's the real point of the marriage license anymore? Years ago, you couldn't even be in law enforcement if you were living in San, per the Georgia Satellites. Yeah, I mean, this is what, you know, what is the state's compelling interest in ordaining the marriage, right? What is the government's interest? And we're going to get into this tomorrow. I've got, uh, I pulled all of these issues together. I got a whole stack of it ready to go. And again, blame Nancy Pelosi uh, for making her speech during the first hour, because that's where I was going to start the show. And then I didn't. So I'll just get to that tomorrow. But this was always my position. I understand the state has a compelling interest in seeing its population repopulate. I do get that. You know, to have more kids, procreate, have more kids. Um, There is a compelling interest there. And there's a compelling interest in that the state recognizes uh, that a child raised in a two-parent home, when the parents are male and female, that is the optimal Uh, all things being equal. I'm not talking about abusive households or anything like that for comparison. I'm saying all things being equal, that that's the optimal arrangement. I understand all of that. But the, the, at some point the attempt to induce that, which was, you know, the, the cultural norm for most of Western civilization, the, the attempt to foster that behavior then turned into a, a, a regime of benefits And when things then begin transferring based on the marriage license, well, now you've attached benefits because this is classic GovCo, right? Classic GovCo. Now it's, you know, we're going to start off with this little thing and thank you for the inch and now here's 17 miles. That's how they do it, right? The natural tendency of government is to encroach upon people's liberties and the natural tendency of the people is to give up those liberties in exchange for security oftentimes. Here's a... Message from uh, Gigi, who said, I always say almost nobody remembers or knows uh, the origins of all of this stuff. Uh, It was the AIDS epidemic when Fauci, you'll recall, right? I heard somebody say, hey, you ever see that movie Dallas Buyers Club? Great movie. You ever see the bad guy in that movie is Fauci. (laughs) He's the villain in that movie. Just a heads up on that. Yeah, they were. He was the ones that wouldn't. This guy. Yeah, because the whole point was. This guy in Texas, I think it was Dallas maybe, and they would go down to Texas or to Mexico and they'd get a bunch of drugs, like pharmaceutical drugs that would help people suffering with HIV and AIDS because the NIH would not allow, the federal government in America would not allow these drugs to be used in America. And so the Dallas Buyers Club set up in order to help people dying from AIDS. This is the cocktail. Remember that? Remember hearing about this? Now it's like well-known. People take all of these different drugs to mitigate different aspects of it, right? But a lot of partners during the AIDS HIV epidemic, uh, at the beginning of it, Gigi's exactly right, they did not have any say in any kind of medical treatments. So again, to me, the answer was always set up contract law that controls for those situations, powers of attorney, medical decisions, right? All of that stuff. Who gets your inheritance, next of kin, do all of that and make it, call it something else. But no, what do I know? Pete, you're just a crazy leftist. <laughs> like you guys are going to lose this argument. 
in the courts. I just, it's going to happen. I can see, anyway, it doesn't matter. That's all water under the bridge. Um, one last, uh, one last thing here. Let me get to this. Uh, this was uh, our friend, Dr. Chris Cooper up at Western Carolina. And uh, he's a, he's the Madison distinguished professor of political science and public affairs at Western. Uh, and a couple things. Tomorrow is a key date in North Carolina. That is when the county Candace uh, is done. And then uh, the state canvas occurs November 29th. And that just means they do, they just make sure they got all the votes in. Everything's got to be in by then. And then they make sure like the provisional ballots, any kind of absentees that came in with postmarks before election day, that kind of thing. Uh, after these dates, then after the state canvas, then the Board of Elections will release the updated voter history file, and then that's going to have the new data where all of the, the eggheads are going to be, uh, will be able to, to crunch all the numbers and find out the patterns and be able to answer some of the questions about what we saw in North Carolina on the election. Um, one, a couple things, though, that he says he, these are his tentative takeaways. So, number one, in North Carolina, the disappearing swing counties, the state increasingly shows that uh, – uh, Republican areas have gotten redder. Democrat areas got uh, bluer with fewer and fewer districts and counties vacillating between the two or taking on shades of purple. So at the county level, you're sitting. Mecklenburg is a good example. Bluer, 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 bluer and surrounding areas, redder, 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 which is going to be a problem. Like I would submit for Democrats during like redistricting, I would say, which we're going to actually go through again. If the district size in North Carolina, it will over is like seven hundred fifty to eight hundred thousand uh, residents. Charlotte should get its own congressional seat. Give Charlotte one congressional seat, carve out a chunk of it, put it into some other county, maybe Union or Gaston, go west or whatever, go east, and then Charlotte gets one seat. Oh, the Democrats won't go for that because they want to gerrymander it to include other parts and get it and get like six seats for Charlotte. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.